Um, welcome to Rock Bible Church. We're a Christ-centered, biblically-based, compelling, casual community. We're compelling ourselves and others to Christ in casual ways that welcome all to worship, being a community that serves a greater community. All right. Uh, let's jump in. We are, um, uh, we're in the last chapter of Philippians. We go through a book at a time, uh, passage by passage, and look at uh, what it says and how do we apply it today. Look at it in context. We've been going through the book of Philippians, and we've split most chapters. Last week, we did chapter three in its entirety, uh, and we're going to split four. So we have today, uh, and then next week, we'll be wrapping up our series uh, of Paul and his letters to um, this church in Philippi, and uh, us figuring out uh, how, is, how is it similar to us in our church today. And so let's pray, and we'll, uh, we'll jump back in. Lord, thanks for this morning. Thanks for the opportunity to worship and what we get to be reminded of. Break from our week, refocus, recenter on you. Um, and then, Lord, for the opportunities to even just read Scripture in church and uh, donate to things um, that we might be um, lights. We want to project you those who've yet to know you. And so I, I pray, Lord, this morning, uh, you would help us as we understand your word, as we read it, and you would inspire us, encourage us with uh, truth and opportunity. And I pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Uh, Philippians chapter 4 is, is really kind of an iconic chapter. We have some just iconic verses, verses that you're going to hear, and you're, oh, I've, I've heard that so many times. Uh, which is part of the reason I split it up, and we're going to do the second half next week. Um, but I want to get beyond just the um, famous verses that you see on the website, you know, of any Christian website you go to, and then they've got their favorite, you know, oh yeah, I've seen that verse a bunch of times. And let's let's get beyond that to the context of, well, why, why was that penned in the first place? I know they didn't have pens. Why was it written in the first place? So let's let's jump in. Let's look at this. Um, and we're, we're looking at the idea of how, how do we think beyond reason? And Paul's going to get into some things, and um, let's enjoy it, all right? But we're going to have to think beyond reason. Uh, Therefore, my brothers, chapter 4, verse 1, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. He uh, starts chapter 3, uh, he says, finally... Rejoice in the Lord. Um, we joked last week that uh, the last half of the letter is him signing off. Right? Chapters three and chapter four is him saying, "Okay, well, finally, let me, let me, we're gonna wrap it up now." Well, then he takes two chapters to wrap it up, right? Um, in in chapter four here, uh, instead of saying rejoice in the Lord, he says stand firm in the Lord. Uh, I would argue that that's how you rejoice in the Lord, that's how you enjoy God, is you have to stand firm with him. You have to stay close to him. You have to do the things that he said, um, which is apparently what they've been doing. This is why Paul's writing to them, and, and he calls them beloved. He's excited about them. He's proud of them. They're the joy and the crown. He says, stand firm thus in the Lord. Any guesses as to whether he's going to explain now, how do you stand firm with God? That's what's coming. Let's get into it. Uh, verse 2. I entreat Yodia 
and sentike, to agree in the Lord. Ooh, that's a fun little sentence right there. Because it seems very nice and calm, maybe a little politically correct. But what's going on here? These two ladies, right? Because verse 3, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these what? Women. Okay, so these two ladies, how, how are they doing? A little conflict? Wait a minute, are you telling me that women disagree at church sometimes? What? No. He says, look, uh, let's get them to agree. Let's work on that. I love that. Does he blame either one of them? No. He just says, here's where we're headed, agreement, and here's what your job is. Help them. What does he call them? True companions. Not adversaries, not conflicts, not other political party, not, you know, um, accentuating differences and separation. He's talking about, hey, entreat them, agree, be companions, co-alongside, right? Uh, help these women who have labored side by side with me and the gospel to, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. What, look at this, though. What, what's said? They have labored side by side. Have, that's past tense. Part of the reason that we want to get along and agree and start being companions again is so that we can get back to side by side labor, back to working on things within the church and the purpose of the church. Um, how do you know when something's a problem at church? Well, when Scott says it's a problem, then there's a problem. No. How do we know when the, when the church is having trouble? Well, it could be a good conflict, right? How well are we going to do the mission? And we're trying to discuss that. Uh, when we get off our mission, when we stop performing our purpose, when we stop sharing the gospel, when we stop doing the duties of church, that's when we know we got a problem, right? We start arguing over what color the chairs are, something like that. We're not making progress, right? Uh, and the rest of my fellow, what's he call you guys? Workers, right? We said at the very beginning, uh, you all have a new title. According to Paul, chapter one, we're all saints, and as saints, we got new job descriptions. One, of, one part of our job description is to work. Let's move on to uh, <clears throat> uh, fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. You guys remember this song? Anybody who's been uh, in Christendom for a while? Rejoice in the Lord always again, I say. Rejoice in the Lord always again, I say rejoice. All right, we're going to have to keep Bryce around, huh? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's where that song comes from. Uh, he says it twice. He started chapter 3 with it. He says, we should be enjoying this. Should you enjoy church? Or, or we just come here to find out how bad we are and, and all our sins and how far we are from God and that kind of thing. At some point, we got to get on to working together, accomplishing things, and having a, a good time as we do it, right? Singing carols on a Sunday night, going for a ride on a train, uh, going for a ride on a float in a parade, what? Somehow I got signed up for that one. 
right? We're going to try to enjoy it uh, because we have a, a, something to project to the world. Amen is right. Uh, rejoice in the Lord always. I, and again, I say rejoice. And now let's see if this is how you do the rejoice, right? What follows is how we do the rejoice, how we do the stand firm in the Lord. Verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Uh, get out your outlines. Turn to the back. It says Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Then it says, uh, think beyond reason, right? And then this is the verse that we put at the top of your outline. Because this sounds a little contra uh, contradictory to me, right? Let your reasonableness be known to everyone, right? Are you reasonable? Are you doing things that make sense? Are, are you using logic? Um, some people would call it common sense. But then it says, the Lord is at hand. That seems a little bit contradictory to me. See, there's our reasonableness and what we think of, but then there's also, um, remember God's here? Well, to say that the Lord is at hand, what, what's being said? That was the interactive portion of our interactive church, right? If Paul says the Lord's at hand, What's he mean? He's here. He's close by. Um, is he spectating? Did he get front row seat tickets? Right? They were only 30 bucks. There's only 20 left. 16 now. Um, no, if he's at hand, um, there's an implication of when something's in your hand, this is just for you to hold. You're, you're about to do something with it, right? If you have something in your hand, you're about to manipulate something. You're about to accomplish something. What type of reasonableness then do you think Paul is getting at? If the very next sentence is, the Lord's at hand. God's here. God's active. He's not done yet. He has some priorities, some principles, and some direction, purpose as to where he's going, why he's here, and who he's going to involve. But right before that, he says, let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. What kind of reasonableness? Gee, Scott, that's a really hard question. There's so many different answers. Uh, let me ask you this. Reasonableness as to what you think is best for your comfort and preference, what fits into your schedule, uh, what appeases your passion. Are we catering to self when we say your reasonableness? I mean, it says your, mine. Paul said that I get to use my own reasonableness and I don't like you know, what the family's doing or the business is doing or the church is doing. Is the emphasis there on your or is the emphasis on reasonable, you think? Ooh, and if it's paired with the Lord is at hand, whose reasonableness? Yeah, I think we're trying to get back to the Lord's around, let's do the Lord's thing. Um, that's why it says at the top, think beyond reason. I think these two sentences combined in verse 5 give the idea that, um, yes, we want you to think. 
but we need you to think above and beyond your own reasonableness. Get to his. Uh, there are things that I have thought were correct to pursue. Any guesses on whether some of those turned out wrong? No guesses, right? We all know some of my pursuits turned out wrong uh, over the course of my time. Um, whose reasonableness and pursuits and thinking are always correct? The guy that's at hand. You know, the trick for us is to pair our thinking with the idea that God's in proximity. If God's in proximity, it's kind of like when you're working on something kind of technical and dad's there, you're in the garage and you're trying to get some stuff done and you could do it on your own, but why would you? Because right next to you is who? Do you remember how I started this um, story? Dad, okay, are we, we're good this morning? Okay, I know you wanted to say Jesus because it was a question at church, but you knew it was dad, so you, that's how you're confused, right? No, well, if dad's there, it's like, dad, am I, am I supposed to tighten this or loosen it, you know? Are those supposed to come apart? No, don't, don't take those apart. You'll never get them back together. Um, when you have access to the Lord, it should affect your reasonableness. It should change your thinking. Set your priority. Um, how you view that person who said that thing about you. Why does he have to tell us this? Because it's not natural. Natural is for us to emphasize your, my. This is what I want. This is what I think is best for this. And so that's what I'm going to do at all cost, whatever it takes. And here's the problem. When you take that perspective, uh, one, it's godly. What? It's godly? Like to, to do things at all costs for what you think, no matter what, and you're going to make it happen. That's godly? Well, kind of. That's how God works, right? <laughs> Is God thinking correct? Is he going to get what he wants, no matter what, at all costs, whatever it takes? Yes, that is very godly. Here's the problem. Who are you not? You're not God. So when you get in a battle of at all costs, no matter what, I think we're going to do it, um, you're in competition with undefeated guy. He's never lost, right? We had the kids paraded through here, collecting gold, telling the story. that We just did the 10th plague, and now we're on our way back and we're going to collect some gold as we leave into how's that story end who went right all 10 plagues who won right sometimes we have to get beyond the your part in this sentence and recognize that there is a reasonableness beyond our own thinking it comes from the lord it's gonna win and the faster we can kind of tap into it run alongside it let it affect us infect us, maybe color us, I like to say stain me. I want to be stained with whatever God's doing so I can't get it off of me. And then that's how I start running. Let your reasonableness be the Lord is at hand. I just took some words out and eliminated the period. 
You made it one sentence. Let your reasonableness be the Lord at hand. That's a fun little combo. Well, how do you do that? Verse six. Philippians chapter four, verse six. I've had it memorized for many decades. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, through prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, we're into verse 7 now, right? Which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in. Christ Jesus, okay, good. I'm just trying to keep you. Um, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's go back, previous slide, verse six, right? It's kind of like a, it's a combo meal, six and seven. Uh, don't be anxious about anything. Why? I've always been told this verse because I'm not supposed to worry, right? When I'm stressing about something, and I, well, you know, Scott, anxiousness is a sin. Paul tells us not to do it. Okay, great. Then tell me how not to. More than tell me, not to, tell me how not to. Anxious about anything, where does that come from? It comes from thinking. Remember our topic for this morning is thinking beyond reason. Anxious is a fear of future loss. Simple definition. Well, how it can be future if I'm anxious now? You're anxious now about what might be happening now, which means you won't have it going forward in the future. Anxiety is a statement about you think you're going to miss out, right? What's that uh, little acronym thing people say all the time now? FOMO, fear of missing out, F-O-M-O, -O, fear of missing out. That's anxiety. Where's it come from? Thinking. Reasonable thinking or irrational thinking? How can you fear something that hasn't happened yet? It doesn't exist yet. You're fearing a myth. No, but it's a possibility, Scott. It could happen. You're fearing a could rather than dealing with the is. And you want to work on something that will keep you from losing that thing in the future? Great. Work on it now. But avoid the anxiety. Be reasonable about it, because here's the thing. If the Lord is at hand and he wants you not to have that in the future, guess what you won't have? You won't have that. What you can have is your anxiety. Why would you do that? Because if the Lord is at hand and that was the plan, how about we skip the anxiety and skip that, which he was going to have you lose anyways, and let's figure out how else to move forward. Be anxious for nothing is the way I memorize it. I memorized this uh, New American Standard back in the day. That was my Bible, study Bible with all this stuff in it. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, instead, instead, pray and ask. Thankfully, to who? The thinker. If we're thinking beyond reason, and Paul's telling us this whole thing, standing firm in the Lord, um, how do we get beyond our anxiety? We have to stop thinking that our thinking is the thinking. We have to get beyond that and recognize who's the real thinker. We're at church. I asked a question. God, thank you. Good. At least there's a bald one. 
that can answer that for us. Um, there's this, really it's a sin of taking ownership in our own thinking, like that's the priority. Like that's the pinnacle of uh, problem resolution. Rather than, how about instead of being nervous about this, anxious, fearful, how about I drop this at the Lord's feet and go, all right, dude, that's your mess. I'll be over here. Here, I'm going to do some stuff right now for future, but that future, that's, that's you. You know how freeing that is? To just, here, God, I don't know how to deal with this. Uh, I want to deal with it, but I need some direction. And my wife hasn't given me all the answers yet. That's usually where I get my answers. Uh, so here, you and Julie, figure it out. All right, get back to me when you're ready for me. Um, we have to thankfully pray and ask that. Why would you be thankful for something that you feared? That, is Paul just losing it? Is he a little off his rocker? I am anxious about something, but you want me to thank God for it as I ask him about it. Can anyone say backwards? Does that feel backwards? When do you thank people for things? After it happens. We've had all these people in the church, the food chain or food train or food trucks. I don't know. Every night for the last two weeks, food shows up on my porch. Not really. People come inside and they drop it off and the whole thing. Um, we've had all this amazing food. Thank you so much. Isn't that how thank you is supposed to work? After the fact, you thank. Why is he thanking before? Because God's going to take care of it? Somebody just said because God's going to take care of it. Do we know the future? Do we know he's going to take care of it? He's going to take care of it. But is he going to take care of it in your reasonableness? Or he's just going to take care of it in reasonableness? So what are we thanking him for? And shoot, why are we praying to him in the first place? Does he not know that we're anxious about this? Does he not know that we have a problem? Um, why Are we telling him stuff he already knows? That is the definition of prayer, folks. How much does he know? All of it. So why pray and why pray thanking him for something that's future that you've yet to know the outcome of how he's going to handle it? Because we're lemmings, Scott, we just do what we're told and that's it. I, you know, folks, let me... um. I'm not nice all the time. You know what I'm not nice about? Christian lemmings. We just do stuff because the church says. Just do stuff because a pastor told you, whatever. I've done so many things in my life because the church said or a pastor said, and then I found out there was different stuff in the Bible. We got to think about what we're doing. Reasonably, because the Lord's at hand. So let's reasonably, his reason, figure out why are we talking to him about stuff he already knows that he's already solved because time doesn't exist. It's his construct. And why would we thank him for that when we've yet to know the outcome and we're anxious about it? What is this an exercise in? 
Are we changing God's mind? Are we helping him with a little bit of information? Are we giving him a clue or a hint? Is that what we're doing? This is an exercise in something. I know he wouldn't give us stuff to do just to keep us busy and out of his hair. Why would he get us to do this? One, I'm going to give you some hints. Who's doing the action in these? If we fall, if we, I'm giving it away and asking the question. If we follow what Paul tells us to do, who's doing the action? Us. Thank you. Back row. All right. Um, so who's it for? It's for us. It's not for God. He's getting nothing out of this other than obedience and some minor things. Who's really benefiting from this? Us. We're learning how to deal with our anxiety. We're learning how to talk to God. We're learning how to be thankful for him being in charge, for him being the thinker, for him being responsible and reasonable for what might or will or does happen. We're, we're changing us. He has to tell us at the beginning, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, by the way, in case you missed it the first time, be, start being happy. You're spinning on your own stuff, your own thinking, your own problem solving, your own direction, your own logic. And Paul says, that's backwards. You think thanking God in advance is backwards, but actually you're the one that's backwards. Because you think you have control. You think you're the most important in the room. How about you figure out who is the most important? If he's still here, if he's still active, where is he going? And let's tap into that. Well, how do I do that? How about you start talking to him? We pray to God so that he can tell us no. What? No, he'll give me the desires of my heart. No, he won't all the time. He will sometimes. See, the Lord answers all prayers. Amen? Just most of the time he says what? Okay, so he does answer prayer. I've been praying and God answers. He's not answering my prayer. Oh yeah, he has. He keeps saying no over and over and no. No, no, no. But you're using your own reason rather than his rather than tapping into where he's going with it. Let your request be made known to God. Why? Because when you put it at his feet, verse 7 happens. I had somebody tell me this week, <laughs> they said, hey, Scott, are we doing chapter 4 this week? <laughs> I asked him, I said, how many years have you been going to the church? What comes after 3? This is how we've always done it. Of course we're doing Philippians 4. He says, well, we're, we're going to do one of my favorite verses, verse 7. I said, oh, that's awesome. He's like, yeah, so don't screw it up. <laughs> I'm like, what pressure? Uh, when we put everything at God's feet, we get to this guy's favorite verse, verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. I, I don't know what to do with this guy. This is his favorite verse, and I hate this verse. I hate, do you know, why do we hate this verse? Uh, maybe you don't for, hate, I hate this verse. You love this verse, I'm going to let you love it, okay? Just, I know you're off, but it's okay. We're going to, um, my heart and my mind need to be guarded? 
You see that top line there? We'll guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Oh, it sounds so wonderful. Let's put it on the front of the webpage. Yeah, but what's being implied there? That God can guard you. That's great. That's why we would promote that. Memorize it. Absolutely. Amazing. It says I have a heart and a mind. That's good news too, okay? Some of those are in question at time. More so for some people than others, right? Um, go back a uh, slide for me, ladies. Um, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, the peace of God exists. That's great news. Why do I hate this then? It implies that I don't have the peace of God and that the lack of peace of God causes, next slide, my heart and my mind to be off. They're vulnerable, they're twisted, and they need to be guarded, protected. And until I give up my own thinking, my own reasonableness, and accept the Lord at hand, and what direction is he going with my family, with my job, uh, with my future, with my finance, whatever, Peace is going to elude you. I hate that I messed up. I hate what I hate about this verse is that it draws me to the truth of my own condition. Now, that's the dark version. And gosh, Scott, you're so pessimistic. Why, can we have some, can we do Happy Sunday, Scott? Why do we love this verse? What do we have access to? Peace, protection, right? He's going to guard our hearts. Um, who's going to do it? Fred? Fred's going to do it? Jesus, thank you. Okay. We have access to Jesus, his peace, and his protection. But it implies that I got to give up some things. I got to stop worrying. I got to start talking to him about it and run with that. Well, how do I do that? Verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Really? And the pessimists must be just really squirming in their chairs or in front of their TVs, laptops, all of you, I know, I forgot about you guys in there watching at home. Uh, is this telling us to be optimists? Is this telling us to be positive? Well, you know, Scott, I'm really more of a just say it like it is. Oh, really? Not your job. That's been removed from your job description. You're supposed to be a saint. We're only supposed to do what is excellent and true and honorable and just. That's where we're going. If it's worthy of praise, that's what we're going to think about. There's no, no more dumping on other people. There's no more criticizing. There's no more sending communication slips or controversial emails or any of that stuff. Stop posting, tweeting, texting, or making side comments under your breath. Why? It's not how you stand firm in the Lord. It's not how you rejoice in him. It's not how you get to peace. 
See, all those things are forms of manipulation. When you are trying to change, push, direct, project, using your own reasonableness. And Paul's saying we need to start thinking beyond reason. We have to think like he does. Verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things. Wait, practice? Didn't it say do these things? Do these things. No, if it said do these things, that would imply that the moment we decided to be obedient, bam, we just get it right. We think about what is true and honorable and pure, right, and just all the time without flaw. Right? No, it takes practice. Why? Because the first time you try, you're going to muck it up. You ever going to get it right? Eventually. We got to stop trying to be perfect the first time and, and make sure you look good and all that stuff. No. Get out there and practice. It's going to be messy, uh, dirty. It'll be difficult. It'll go against some of your passions and some of your own thinking. But we're thinking beyond reason, remember? This, this, um, this made me think of uh, these, these, these people that are really weird. I, I think you've seen them before. They're really weird. They go out and they run. I don't, I don't get it. I, I'm, I'm driving around. I see these people and they're running. They're like, Running. Some of them call it jogging. I don't, I don't, whatever. Mincing words. But I keep looking and I, I, I don't understand it. It, it, it baffles me because I keep looking and I can never find the ball. They're just running. I'm like, where's the ball? And I've had people try to explain it to me. Well, it's not about a ball or a sport or a game. We're actually, there's exercise and getting your heart rate up and burning calories. And it's like, what, what? I, just, I still don't get it. Which one of those is the ball? If you're running, there should be a ball involved. How do, how do you keep score? Well, you can time it. No, no, time is everything. You can do timing on anything. But the, running, just to run, no. You're going to be accomplishing something. See, if you're going to run, you should, be, you should be practicing for something, Right? And here's the thing, and this is why I don't buy the argument, oh, it's about exercise and burning calories. I want to be fit, right? No, they're all liars. I've seen them. They got their little outfits on, and they're running along, and the lady's got the little scrunchy thing. Is this still called scrunchy? Okay, because I didn't grow up with sisters or a daughter until the, my very last kid was a daughter. I'm still learning, okay? They got their little scrunchy. Their hair's all done. They got their makeup on. Got their little outfit, cutesy tootsie, uh, really the cleanest tennis shoes you've ever seen. They're jogging along, half their stuff skin tight, and they're just having their little day. That's not practice. That's not work. If you want to really get exercise, get a couple pairs of sweats on, the big old fat hoodie, grab a couple weights, tie some stuff down, put one arm behind your back, make it absolutely difficult for you to do that run. They're not practicing. They're just trying to do it. Rather than, if you really want to burn some calories and do all that kind of stuff, man, get your heart rate up and your, your temperature up, sweating like a dog. I mean, if you pass out, that's how you know you arrived, right? And bring a ball. 
even if you just carry the ball, right? I don't know. I don't get the whole thing where, uh, where they do that. Uh, I do get this where Paul says, hey, look, all this stuff I'm telling you that you've seen, you've heard, you practice it. Why? Because it takes practice. Being positive takes practice. It is an exercise of the will. You have to decide. You want to have your day be crappy? Go ahead. But if your day's going to be good, it has to be a decision that you make. If you don't like a decision that was made or something that's going on or you're in pain, guess what? You get to decide if you're going to plow through it or just exist. I'm watching my daughter go through back surgery pain and the whole thing, and she's a champ. I'm so glad it's hurt on me. I mean, I say that in the worst way. Because uh, I don't want to feel all that pain. But she's trying to take medications and get up and walk and like, just making it to the bathroom. Difficult. And she's plowing through it. Yesterday, she says, let's go to the movies. It's like, I don't know about this. We made it about 35 minutes into the movie. And she's like, all right, we're going home. Right? But she tried. Well, she didn't make it through the whole movie. You wasted ten ninety-five on two different you made we wasted twenty-two dollars in tax and stuff on a movie that you never saw and blah 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 blah. Yeah. Doesn't matter. We had a ball on our run. We were chasing something else. Right? Got to figure out and, and recognize what you're chasing, okay? Uh, let's finish the last verse. And the God of what? Will be with you. I don't feel God. I just feel like he's out there, but I don't know what he's saying. At that. Well, are you practicing? Are you talking to him? Are you asking? Are you thanking are you praising? Are you rejoicing? Are you running without a ball? May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen? All right, let's, let's tie some of this together. All right? Uh, if we're going to think beyond reason, um, our verse that I put at the top of your outline, verse 5, kind of gives us this idea. We have to prioritize lordship over reason. If the Lord is at hand, that needs to be the priority over our own reason. So when we think reason is usually our default, and we've got to flip that to where our default is God's at hand. That's not reason, Scott. That's, that's a statement of God being in proximity. Yes. And that concept, that statement will help you think differently beyond just what your own little preferences are, your own little passions, and, and what makes you comfortable. They give you a different way to look at things and get you on the, on the road to practicing something different. So uh, prioritize lordship over reason um, because we want to get to the lordship's reason, Right? What are the two that I, I made you under the underlines that I made you fill in? What'd you have to write? Lordship reason. That's where we're trying to get to. Lordship reason. What are his reasons? All right, that's number one. Um, and uh, by the way, how how is it easy to get there, or is it hard to get there? 
Is it hard or easy? <laughs> yes, both. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you in on a family secret. My family can't find anything to save their life. Hey, Dad, where are the keys? Hey, Dad, where's the dog's collar? Hey, Dad, where's my favorite cup? Hey, Dad, do you know where the, you know, the other logs are? That we, we bought a whole case, but I can't find them, right? My family can't find anything ever, okay? I figured out what the problem was. They don't look for anything ever. This started when they were knee-high to a grasshopper, and they'd come in, Dad, I can't find my video game or whatever. Mom told me to put on my jacket, and I can't find it. Are you kidding? It's big, it's puffy, it's a bright color. It's the easiest thing to see. Walk into your room and look for shades of red. You'll probably fall on it on accident. So I started this phrase with the family. This is a family secret. It's called 12 seconds. All right, John. I'll come help you find your jacket. Here's the deal. If I find your jacket in less than 12 seconds... You owe me. <laughs> oh, you what? Oh, you'll find out after I find the jacket in 12 seconds, right? My kids have done push-ups, laps. They've washed the dishes, taken out the trash and the whole thing all the time because why? Because I walk into their room and I step on the tennis shoes that they said they couldn't find, right? They didn't want to look. They just wanted someone else to do it for them. Folks, your relationship with the Lord takes less than 12 seconds. And here's the bad news. Dad can't come look for you. Pastor can't find it for you. You can do anything you want with the Lord in about 12 seconds or less. Guaranteed. The problem is you'll have to actually look Okay, now, when you figure out how to do that, please tell my kids. Okay, number two, uh, give over guardianship. Give over guardianship. This whole being anxious, your fear of your future loss is something you think you can control. Paul clearly says, hand that over to God, over to Jesus. Um, in everything, pray, ask and thank him for what he's going to guard. Because what comes out of that is this peace that guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Most of us are walking around thinking that we have to protect ourselves. Well, I'm not going to take that call because I don't want to deal with them. So I'm protecting myself by not taking that call. I'm not going to go there. I am going to go here. I got to go to the hardware store because I got to get this because I got to fix it. If I let them fix it, they'll charge me too much. Whatever. we got to get over this thing that we think we're the guardians. You're not the guardians of the galaxy. And you're not eternal. Those are references to Marvel movies that have just recently come out. So I just had to have fun with that. Um, God is to be the guardian. Christ is to be the guardian of your heart and your mind. Hmm, what you feel and what you think. See how I got to thinking beyond reason. Because uh, some things are going to be affected by your heart. Some things are going to be affected by your head. Hopefully all of them will be affected by God and how he is directing those two. 
And then lastly, uh, so give over guardianship. That was verse seven. Um, verse nine uh, tells us this. You got to practice godly thinking. You have to practice godly thinking. Now, let's have a little fun with this. It'll be very short. Um, go, go back to where there's no godly in the sentence. Uh, slide, ladies. Can we go back? There we go. Everybody does that. That right there, practice thinking, everybody does that. Here's your problem. You're way too good at that. I'm too good at that. I'm a professional at my own thinking. I practice it all the time. I came up with the 12-second rule at my house. I came up with the phrase, are you the most important person in the room? I came up with the phrase, Berglunds don't do that. And I'm all proud of myself because I come up with all these things and I practice all my own thinking. Let's do some reasoning now. I have been in trouble many times in my life. You think it's related to that? Practicing my own thinking? Yeah. The people that move on to the next level, that get that peace, that take a load off their back of weight, of pressure and stress about what might happen in the future or what is going on right now or what had happened in the past that they can't change. The peace that takes all of that, takes that weight off, happens when you add the godly in there. Man, that was amazing timing. Did you see that? I was talking about it. I was like, bam, and it, oh, wow. Like a superhero, ring. Um, we, we've got to figure out how to put God in the middle of everything. Amen? Take you 12 seconds. Take you 12 seconds. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. Now I want to remind you, we had all these famous verses in there. Right? Remember Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Then we had that other one about whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. You've seen that on greeting cards? I know you have. I'm pretty sure Caleb quotes it once a week. Do you see the value of all the other verses around it now? And the message from which it came out of? We have to work on how we think. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thanks for uh, clarity and some answers, Lord. Uh, thanks for, in the clarity and the answers, thanks for practice. Thanks for the opportunity to try uh, that failure, although it's common, is not defining. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to give us direction and help us to go beyond ourselves and toward you. If you're here this morning, you've never made that decision. You've never said, God, I just want to be yours from now on. In fact, I recognize that I've always been yours. I, I acknowledge it today. And from this day forward, I want to think like you. I want your son to be my savior. I want forgiveness that comes through his finished work on the cross. I want access to you and your peace. 
If that's you this morning, you never made that decision. Tell him. Pray to him, ask him, and thank him for the ride you're about to go on. Maybe you've been a Christian a while and you've just been, a, let's call it a little off. And you want to be back on track. Tell him that this morning. Father, we thank you for the offering that we're about to receive. And I pray that you would use it beyond reason. I pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Perfect song for the passage, eh? We talked about thinking beyond reason. We talked about it being godly thinking. Where's the lead? May you think peacefully. Amen. Amen. Go with him.